listening to the left wingers podcast we are an unashamedly left-wing podcast made by activists and for activists welcome to another episode of whinging wednesday every whinging wednesday we give you our hot takes on the week's news stories play games and respond to what our listeners have to say and in today's episode it's been quite easy planning for it almost because it's been a very very busy week since last wednesday we're going to start with talking about Boris Johnson and Rishi Sunak being fined by the Met Police for breaking their own lockdown rules. We're believing that these are this might only be the first set of fines, possibly. So even though this is kind of a bit of a conclusion to what we've been discussing on the podcast for the past um, however many weeks, it probably won't be the last time that this will come up, to say the least. And uh, we'll be talking about what we think the potential implications of that would be. But I think we're gonna we're gonna start off with uh, Boris and Rishi, and then we're gonna move on to talking about the selling off of Channel 4 and whether we think that's a right decision and, and what we think the, the thoughts were behind that policy decision. So as Brandon said, the key issue that we have to talk about is the ongoing Partygate scandal, of which the first finds have come out today when we were recording this on Tuesday. But as the presenters had a, a quick chat before we started recording this episode, this episode is coming out on Wednesday. And in the 24 hours or even less that you are listening to this podcast there might have been another round of fines but so far we know that Boris we know that Carrie and we know that Rishi all know that they've received fines as well as several people in the civil service who work in the cabinet uh, as well I believe other people that are kind of spads and linked to links number 10 I believe that there are about 50 people that so far have been fined I think the timing's quite um clever from well not maybe not clever I'm not accusing them of being conspiring with the police, but it does fit with them quite well to have it in the middle of a recess. And I think what's more interesting about it is the sort of every Tory who I have come across, Douglas Ross, um, all the big cabinet members, sorry, have all sort of doubled down on the fact that he has to stay. Whereas only maybe three or four months ago, we had maybe split down the middle of senior Tories saying he should go. And another thing that surprised me as well is the fact that we've had Boris on the news, if you've been watching it on the Tuesday evening when we're recording this, not necessarily apologising, but giving his rationale on why he won't be doing anything further. But we're yet to hear anything from the Treasury, and that is quite, from a lot of commentators' views, very ominous, and I am very excited to see what he has to say for himself. Yeah, because as a result of this fine, Rishi Sunak really can't, distance himself from what's happened and I felt like there might have been a game plan there and he might have thought that he'd be able to dodge you know taking any accountability for the parties which have happened but the fact that he's already been fined and this is potentially only the first round of fines that will be given out is quite significant for me I mean he's had a really really bad week politically I can't think of many worse weeks for an individual and it seems like it's sunk a potential leadership campaign for him in the future I mean you know I don't think it's impossible for him to come back from this because there's been stranger things happen in politics and Boris had his his fair share of gaffes and embarrassments before he became PM but at the same time I think it's gonna 
sink any leadership campaign if it comes in the near future uh, from Rishi Sunak. I'm just really intrigued as to what's going to happen next, because as, as you say, Ashan, a lot of Conservative MPs are seemingly falling in behind the Prime Minister. and I wonder why that is, if they think that he's some some kind of indestructible leader who can somehow get through this. I don't really see it myself, but they might be getting different information. So I'm going to make a prediction. I made a prediction back in January when we did our New Year episodes that Liz Truss might become leader of the party. Mm-hmm. And I'm just saying, you say you say bad week for Rishi Sunak. I say good <laughs> week for Liz Truss. So, you know, a little potato potato on that one. Good week for Ben Wallace. Good week for Liz Truss. Of course, yeah. Um, my So my prediction is that Rishi will be reshuffled out and won't be Chancellor by the end of this year. And I say this for several reasons. I just don't think that he can defend what has happened. And I, it's just too big for him to defend. And also, I, I actually have a real moral concern. I'm sure everyone, if you listen to this podcast, you're, you're relatively political. How on earth can this guy have been an MP in Richmond, Yorkshire, call Stanford, America, his home, and have a green card. And my understanding of when you get a green card is you have to you have to swear some kind of allegiance or you have to sign, at least sign up to American values, which he obviously, I mean, obviously, yes, Britain and America are similar, but it's not the same. He shouldn't be owing America. Like, why is our chancellor in a situation where he feels loyal to the country of America, which is not the country or the place that he's been elected to represent? And I had a chat with someone the other day and we, we actually planned out where we think he has all his homes. So he definitely lives in number 11. So he, so he lives in number 11, right? So he has to live there. All right, fair enough. He has another home in London. I don't know where. I wouldn't, I wouldn't want to know. But I'd imagine it's probably quite nice. Then he's got his constituency home in Richmond, Yorkshire. And then he's got a home in Stanford, America, which he actually calls his home home, according to the Times. That's actually his home home. And then I also believe he has some kind of family home in India where his wife's family's from like what other chancellor have we had in the past who's had so many homes many of which have been outside of the country that he's that he's in I actually think it's completely disgraceful and there's absolutely no way that you should be like I don't I actually don't think you should have dual citizenship if you're in the cabinet if you have to sign allegiance to another to another country I think it's really I think it's morally wrong however many people on the right have said that Labour have a briefing all of this and I just want to say I actually don't think they are. I think it's number 10 that's briefing this. I think it's the Foreign Office that's briefing this because the stuff that they're coming out with, I don't understand how the Labour Party staff could... I mean, maybe they're really smart, but I have to say, I don't think they're that well connected. Who who could realistically find out if Rishi Sunak has a green card? Is it A, the government, or B, the opposition? Mm. Yeah, I suspected straight away that it was something to do with Liz Truss, really. I thought it might be Boris Johnson to take some heat off of himself and maybe stop a potential it's leadership it's a great strategy bid. to be fair to be fair it, like it would be somebody yeah out, Rishi's a great person to, and he knows like he's, he's massively unpopular now anyway just because of what's happening with the economy got rid of him bought in somebody else I think you could I think you could realistically see I don't know if they'd offer it to Liz but I think they would offer it to somebody who's looking to have leadership ambition I don't think anyone would miss Rishi Sunak I don't think there'd be a massive play up in the Tory party if he left I think everyone kind of understands that his time has gone now he did his thing he's moving on I think if Rishi was smart which I think from this week we found he's not very politically anyway he could use this situation to almost distract people from all the not necessarily the economy which people can't really be distracted from that but from the 
American green card stuff. If he resigned today or in the next few days and stated, oh, number 10 made me do this, it's an awful atmosphere in government, Boris should go, I've had enough and kicks throws in the towel, it'll bring down a prime minister who can no longer stop him. And also maybe in the future, he can wiggle his way back into government with a new prime minister. Whereas now he's sort of hedging his bets with someone who is uh, politically dead, I would say, in the Prime Minister. I think, and you know, hindsight is a, a wonderful thing, but I think that as soon as the, you know, the issues started circling around Boris Johnson in terms of how he, how he reacts to bad behaviour in Parliament back in kind of November last year, if he had have taken the opportunity to say, I'm shattered from uh, managing the pandemic, getting Brexit done in quote marks, and had left at that point, I think he would have still had quite a an intact kind of legacy for himself. And I think if Rishi Sunak had done the same, then there would have been potential for him to come back into politics at a later date. But I feel like they both kind of missed the gun there and they've kind of submitted themselves to having this fate of eventually, eventually getting kicked out of office, whether it be by their own MPs or by the electorate in, uh, in the next general election. And I feel like politically that was a missed opportunity for both of them but you know people find it difficult to give up the power that they have i just want to um draw our attention to how some mps have already been defending boris and rishi particularly michael fabricant's defense of the pm because i don't know who told him that this was a good line to take that people would you know suddenly think ah maybe he's got a point kind of passing the book of breaking lockdown restrictions to nurses and teachers and saying that they, after having very long days at work throughout the pandemic, might have gathered in staff rooms and had a tipple, which is completely and utterly ridiculous. I don't know where this idea came from. And he he failed to justify this idea whenever he's been pushed on it. But he said it over and over again on multiple different media outlets now. So he must think that it's a line which is getting some traction for himself. Um, all I want to say, all I want to say on this is find somebody that backs you up to the hill, like Michael Fabrican and Nadine Doris due to Boris Johnson. Find somebody that is so delusional that they absolutely back you to the nines, irrelevant to what they think, to the extent where they come out with the most ridiculous rubbish just to speak to people. I would encourage people to go and listen to his full, to his full statement, but it was something along the lines of, well, to be fair, if I was there, I'd have a bar in the back and number 10 anyway, because it's a stressful job. And I'm sure lots of other people with stressful jobs would have been on the piss as well, is essentially to, to kind of paraphrase what was said. This one man shifted the Overton window. I think it's just, I, he must think the whole country's drunk. He must think that like we're all like, stages of alcoholism. Like he must I think that, what, do you not think not. the minute anything's difficult, he just goes, probably just go to the pub, won't you really? Have a pub in your house. Great. What could go wrong? He's only the leader of, what, 70 million people? What could possibly go wrong? Pub in the house. Great idea. I just want to know what dirt Boris has on those two people now. I mean, I feel like it would be even more interesting than what they ever have had to say. I don't think he's got anything on them, but I think they're just, I think they're fiercely loyal and want to be in the cabinet. Like, they want to back him. And they also have made a prediction, which we made at the beginning of the year, which is he's Boris isn't going anywhere, which I now don't think he is. I think the only way we can get rid of him is by voting him out. I don't think the Tories can get rid of him whatsoever. And anyone who challenges is unlikely to beat Boris. And I think they both made that assumption. They both made that prediction a year ago, two years ago, whatever. 
They've always, both of them have had long connections with Boris, with the regime. They played it. I mean, I completely disagree with them and I would advise them not to say things like that. But guys, find yourself somebody that backs you up like that guy. I, I personally think it's just a really wild gamble because those two as figures, they have a very short political shelf life. And I think this is their ultimate last ditch attempt it? to, uh, <laughs> this is it for them. Um, it's their last ditch attempt to, you know, be in the cabinet, make a name for themselves, get on reality TV shows post-politics although Nadine yeah, Doris yeah. has obviously already been on reality tv shows um but I just I just feel like this is their kind of everything's in and you know if it goes if it all goes tits up when? you know they've accepted it <laughs> when it all goes yeah, yeah they're enjoying it now they're enjoying yeah, it now tell. I think that they both are enjoying it now I think they're both having a great I'm like of the belief that they're having a fantastic time I have to believe that they were laughing to themselves like they must have just sat around and had a good laugh but I tell you what, if I'm gonna make this, I'm gonna make this pledge now. If Ashan or Brandon get to any major political stage and anything is said about them, I will go on national television and defend them to the nines with absolute rubbish like this. <laughs> Thank you for that. But like, yeah, no, the reason why he did that is because he actually just really pro boxing and that's why he hit his child. It's like, oh my god, what? He's like, just, he just really pro the alcohol industry and the brewing. He just, that we have he in just this, supports this the live, live Long with the Local campaign of increasing, yeah, of increasing parties. <laughs> and he has done for years. And that's a solid pledge that he's made oh. to the electorate. Oh what I would God. say, though, and another pitch I'm going to make is that Rishi, I think he's going to stand down at the next election because I think he knows he's over now. I think unless he pulls something out of the bag, I think he knows it's done. But what he might do, pop over to America and do a Nick Clegg and become the something, something, something of insert multinational company here and maybe that's a new thing maybe he will actually so nick clegg now i would argue equally as important job when he was the deputy prime minister now that he's at facebook i would argue they're both exceptionally important jobs and maybe rishi will be something in silicon valley you know it'll be like a pub quiz about you know which senior executive of this company was once the chancellor of the exchequer and it will be like oh fingers on buzzers different kind of failure of this conservative government i feel like that's how most of our segments should start now just we're just going to talk about something else that's gone wrong for the current government although they they are obviously holding the line on this issue the privatization of channel four or at least the the selling off of channel four as a as a public asset and the implications of that for the uk's media very significant reflects a conservative policy of if it moves privatize it without real thought kind of to the implications of that, in, in my opinion. What are your thoughts on it? I don't agree with it, but I find a lot of the logic behind it also, it, it almost, it's incorrect, it's just simply false. I mean, the, the main main idea behind the Tory privatisation is that it will make it more competitive and stop it being a burden upon the taxpayer. But um, on both those fronts, A, it doesn't actually receive any taxpayers' money, so it wouldn't actually alter that side of things and also they keep mentioning that it will make it more competitive towards the likes of Amazon Prime and Netflix but if you actually look into the uh, finances of both of those companies more more so Netflix they all run at a loss um, especially that side of the actual production side of the business whereas Channel 4 in its current state in at least in recent times have been running very profitably so I just find the rationale behind it bizarre 
It wasn't in their manifesto. There didn't seem to be any public will for it anyway. So it just, the only thing I can think of is that the output of Channel 4, as as many of you may have watched it, is often more progressive and more at odds with the sort of output the Tory party have, and therefore they're using it as a sort of political um, move, I suppose. Yeah, definitely. And I mean, I think that it's, it's vital that we preserve that kind of independent media in this in this country and you know channel 4 is an innovative platform really for for content and i think definitely in recent years for me it might be my my liberal bias if you like but for me that's channel 4 has been the channel which i turn to for most of the things which i watch now don't get me wrong there's some real interesting Real interesting programs on Channel Four at the moment. A lot, including people getting naked on TV, which is, which you know, I, it makes me laugh just thinking about it. How how different of a country we are to the, kind of the country that we were even twenty years ago. And I can't imagine something like that, something like Naked Attraction being on telly. But anyway, Channel Four is all about pushing the boundaries, and I think it's good that there's a channel like that out there where people are challenging traditional media and. The government choosing to react to that in this way just shows that they don't really care about the, the kind of profitability side of it, as you say, um, or how successful it's been as a brand. They are just bothered about making that political point. Yeah, I agree. It's seen as profitable and I'm just not convinced that selling it will make it more profitable, a better service. I'm not, I can't really understand who, like what group this this move will benefit it's i don't think it's really going to benefit the viewer i don't really think it's going to benefit the government i don't really see it benefiting channel four either i don't really understand apart from if you look at it through an ideological lens and i also think there's a lot of the agenda at the minute where they just want to be seen as playing to the home crowd and i i really do believe that this is one of those things where they're just looking to play for the home crowd and I don't think it's fair to compare it to Netflix. I don't think it's fair to compare it to Amazon Prime. Amazon is not the same thing as, as Channel 4. It's, it's, just, it's just not the same. However, both do produce good programmes. Absolutely, Amazon Prime produces some fantastic programmes. Uh, after this podcast, I'm going to sit and watch the new season of Dairy Girls, which came out today on Channel 4. A programme, actually, which one of the characters, uh, one of the actresses who's actually playing in Dairy Girls, says that they don't think they could have made Dairy Girls without Channel 4. So, I mean, you heard it from the horse's mouth there, to be honest, but it's it's fascinating just to see why they seem to be coming after this and why this seems to have become such a political football. I think it will, unfortunately, be sold, and I hope this is one of those things that a Labour government will will hopefully have to bring back in-house. And I think when they do, I think that would be a really welcome step. See, I, I find this so frustrating, The whole, generally the whole idea about privatisation, because... Whether or not it's successful is is incredibly varied depending on the context and you know what shape the the particular organisation was in before privatisation, all that kind of all those kind of questions. And what's annoying about something like this is that there's absolutely no reason for it happening beyond ideology. Yet it's going to, if we try to take it back into public ownership, cost lots of money to the taxpayer and that's the problem with privatization you get a short-term kind of boost to the exchequer for the long-term pain of if you ever want to bring it back into public ownership you then got to spend an awful lot of money bringing it back in house it's so frustrating for 
for, for this to happen over and over again. And it just seems like the longer that the Conservatives are in power, the harder it's going to be for Labour to bring a lot of these organisations back in-house. And that, yeah, it just, it pains me. It really does. I mean, I'd be interested to see who buys it. Like, who really in this current day and age is in the market for, like, what company is in the market to buy something like Channel 4? I, I mean, I don't know. I'm sure there is one out there. I'm sure there is a streaming service that thinks adding Channel 4 to their portfolio would be useful. But off the top of my head, I can't really think of one where I'd be like, well, this is, seems like a really good partnership. I'm sure they'd work really well together. My final thought on it is if they get rid of Father Ted for whatever reason, I'm telling you now, I'm going straight to Downing Street and doing a one-man protest and I will not stop until we get it back. It will actually break my heart because it's such a fantastic... It's the only place I can see Father Ted for free. It would actually break my heart if they got if they got rid of that for any reason. Well, my kind of argument in response to, you know, selling public property off, essentially, is that it, it again defeats the conservative narrative that they are the party of patriotism and they're the party that loves this country and its institutions because privatization for me does not reflect that at all and actually is the opposite in my point of view you're, you're selling off assets to a lot of the time foreign companies international companies that otherwise would be in the british public's hands and yeah this is just again it's just another example of that and uh I wish that people could could see that and I wish that we were better ex- uh, explaining that, that actually it's a good thing that we, as the, the populace, own some of our industries. It's, it's a good thing because and it's something that we should take pride in, um, but it's it doesn't fit with the, the mainstream kind of media narrative on it. Unfortunately, that's all we have time for for today. Thank you for joining us for another episode of Winging Wednesday. We'll be back next Winging Wednesday with a new episode. If you enjoy listening to us, please subscribe to this podcast to be notified when our new episodes come out. We also have a mailing list called the Left Wingers Community, which you can join using the link in the episode description. Likewise, you can keep in touch with us with the links on social media, which are also in the description. Keep whinging, enjoy your bank holiday, and we'll see you soon.